So um, this was the, a, a typical day for Liz and I. We would get up around maybe like 7 or 8 in the morning. We'd get ourselves ready. We'd grab probably each of us a granola bar and a Coke. And we'd hop in our cars. And she would head south to Morgantown, West Virginia. And I would head north to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And when I got in my car, I would grab a, a cassette. And I would put my cassette in the stair. We had cassette players in our cars back then. And I put the cassette player in the stereo, and I would hear this. Lesson 1, Section A, CC1 for listening. Wakarimasu A, wakarimasu. Wakarimasu ka? A, wakarimasu. And now repeat. Wakarimasu ka? A, wakarimasu. For an hour, I would do that because I hadn't done it the rest of the week, and I had class at 10 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> So I had to practice my Japanese. Wakarimasu ka? Eh, wakarimasu. Hours and miles. Wakarimasu ka? Eh, wakarimasu. That was, those were the first words I ever learned in Japan, in Japanese. And, and those words mean, do you understand? <laughs> yes, I understand. Which, right, is ridiculous to be the first words that you learn in any language because all you're doing is lying. They've just taught you to lie. Wakarimasu ka? Eh, wakarimasu. So this particular day, it, it was a Tuesday, so it was lecture day. We had, actually, we had Japanese five days a week. So it was lecture day at 10 a.m. There were about 100 students in this big lecture hall. Did, did you know this? This is the tallest educational building in the United States. It's the Cathedral of Learning at the University of Pittsburgh, and so that's where we were, and I was filled in this room with anime students, you know, anime like diehards and sushi fanatics, yeah, otaku, yep, otaku, otaku, right? Otaku, yeah, and sushi fanatics, and, and oddly like ROTC students. There were a lot of ROTC students in the class, all learning Japanese together in the cathedral. And that day, I happened to be right in the middle of a uniformed contingent of students. And it was different, though, because the whole morning they just kept whispering back and forth. You ever been in the room and a crowd of people and they all know something that you don't know? <laughs> and it makes you a little anxious. And then about halfway through the class, one of the university bigwigs in, in a suit came into the lecture hall and told us the school is evacuating to go straight home, not to go into any other university building. No one would be admitted until further notice. So I was a bit confused. I was concerned. I'd left my stuff up in my office. I couldn't even go get it. And I get in my car, only this time I did not put the cassette in the stereo. This time I turned the radio to NPR. They had dials, you know, those things back then, and you would turn them. And that's where I heard the news the two airplanes had, had crashed into the World Trade Center and a, another airplane had crashed into the Pentagon and then another airplane had crashed in a field not far from where we were in the tallest education building and so naturally they thought economy, security, education might have been the other target 
and they evacuated us. And I remembered hearing the news unfold on my drive back home, and it was surreal, right? It's unfathomable. Like, my life had not prepared me to even, like, comprehend, make sense of the things that I was hearing. Wakarimasuka? Yeah. Wakarimasen, zen, zen, wakarimasen. I don't understand anything. I didn't have that word yet. It was lesson three. (laughs) But if I had, I would have said it. I don't understand any of this. How many people can remember exactly where you were 21 years ago today, right? Statistics, if you're over 30, 93% of Americans 30 and over can tell you exactly where they were. The memory is imprinted on our brains. Can anyone remember all the things that, that we lost on that day or in the weeks or years to come. Yeah, the Trade Center, the tallest building in the United States, symbols of our ingenuity, our progress, and our importance in the world. 3,000 people lost their lives. So many first responders lost their long-term health. We lost friends, family, loved ones. We lost our innocence. We lost hope. We lost faith. In the airlines, we've lost countless hours in security lines. We lost our sense, I think, as Americans, of our security as an untouchable world superpower. Zen, zen, wakarimasen. I don't understand. In the two decades since, so many American soldiers have lost their lives and their livelihoods, have lost their souls in the wars that have followed. A little over a year ago, some people are saying that we just lost the longest war our country has ever fought. Depends on how you want to look at it. Zen, zen, wakarimasen. In the years since, there have been other tragedies, world-shaking events from Katrina to Sandy Hook, from the Pulse nightclub to George Floyd, from riots in St. Louis, to riots in our capital, and as a people, as a culture, as a country, it feels like we've lost a lot. And now with COVID, like, I still can't count all the things I've lost since COVID started. The years I feel like I lost, I can't fathom it. Scientists, journalists, doctors, government officials, we're still discovering things we lost. Like, apparently we lost math as kids in English. As kids. So I ask you, Wakarimaska? Zen, zen, Wakarimasen. It's hard. And when you lay it all out like that, not to mention all of our individual tragedies, our family losses, our struggles, and our hardships, it can get to be too much sometimes. We've lost so much. And yet, here we are. We are together still. We're in this place, in this sanctuary, in the house of the Lord, our Lord, Jesus Christ. And to be honest, there's no better place for us to be because Jesus, our Messiah, our Savior, our redemption, Jesus knows a thing or two about loss. 
lost things. He knows about losing things. He talked about losing things. He told stories about losing things. And so today, we're going to hear two of those stories. Now that I've sucked all the joy out of this room, we're going to hear two of Jesus' most famous stories. And my hope, or my faith is that we will find our joy again in Jesus. He's been doing what he's been doing for the last three weeks. He's hanging out with some people, they're sharing a meal, and he's telling stories. Sometimes I think that's his favorite pastime, just hang out, eat, and tell stories. It's like an old man, right? At a diner on a morning. This is Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so he told him this parable. Which one of you, he said, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors and says to them, rejoice. Can y'all say that with me? Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, Jesus said, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. And when she found it, she calls to, like Audra, right? She calls together, I found the coin! (laughs) Put it in the bucket! She calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you. There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of God. This is the joy of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious God, in a world of lost things, we thank you that you found us, that we found you We thank you that we found ourselves here today. And so, Lord, we pray that you would speak into us a word of hope, a word of joy. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So how many of you, like, remember those stories, those parables of lost things? Yeah? How many of us remember which story comes right after these, right? The parable of the prodigal son, the lost sons. How many of us remember where we were, exactly where we were, the first time we heard these stories? I do not think it's going to be 93% of us. (laughs) I wonder how many times, though, it involved flannel the first time (laughs) we heard these (laughs) stories. But we do remember what was lost, right? The shepherd lost his sheep. The woman lost her coin. The Pharisees lost their minds. <laughs> it was like a Mad Libs. You just like, Mary had it, like, bah, minds. <laughs> well, here's how Luke sets the scene. Now, all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. 
And the Pharisees and scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. The Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling. Were grumbling. And they weren't just grumbling, but they were grumbling at the dinner table. Like, who's been there sitting around a dinner table? Maybe it's just you and your family. Maybe you've invited friends over. Maybe it was Labor Day, right? And you had everybody gathered around the table, and you're hosting, and somebody starts grumbling. Maybe it's sports. Can you believe the Chiefs let Tyreek go? Can you believe what Tyreek just said about going from the Chiefs? Or maybe it's the, 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 the people at the table next to you you're grumbling about. Did you notice Aunt Mabel? She didn't bring anything. Again, this year, every year she brings all eight of those kids and not a single hot dish to feed the rest of us. Or maybe it's, it's politics. Did you see what the president said this time? Can you believe it? I don't know how anybody voted for that buffoon, right? And things get awkward because you're like, I voted for that buffoon. <laughs> or worse. Because grumbling is contagious. And pretty soon what started out as an exciting time to gather with family and friends has become this dark, depressing, anger, and anxiety-inducing grumble fest. What started with the joy of people eating and drinking and sharing in God's bountiful harvest, it's completely fallen apart. And we, as a people, have been finding more and more to grumble about ever since. We've been stealing more and more of our joy ever since. Anybody remember, like, the first television that appeared in your house or turned on? Back in the day, like, families, you'd gather around the TV smiling and laughing and sharing in the experience, the joy and the wonder that it brought. And then, and then at some point, the pundits showed up. The pundits and the pardon, the interruptions. And now television is just a whole lot of people grumbling. And instead of gathering around with family and friends, we're usually watching it alone, <laughs> scrolling and watching the grumbling. I mean, you see what happened. Like, we started out singing joyfully today. Now I'm grumbling about TV. It happens. It's what it does to us. You remember when the internet first appeared? It was like the eighth wonder of the world. Like, you could find any, you could spend hours surfing. And like, that's the most joyful word ever to expl explain a non-water-based activity, by the way, surfing. Remember how exciting it was to hear the words, you've got mail. And now we know the dread of seeing how much mail <laughs> we get and we grumble about the number next to our inbox. Anyone grumble about how many emails or texts or messages or they get lately? Junk mail. <laughs> Remember the joy of connecting with friends on Facebook? And now it's just grumble book. <laughs> we have a tendency to turn things, to turn God's creation, our creation, just into another opportunity to grumble. And the Pharisees got me wondering, like, why are we grumbling? Why were they grumbling? And I wonder if it wasn't because they'd lost something. Or they were afraid they were about to lose something. He welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Have they lost their moral authority? Have they lost their privilege and their status? 
this wise rabbi, this miracle worker, he should be eating with us. We're the important ones. That's the status quo. Us alone, and yet here, here he is welcoming in the bottom feeders. People used to gather around to hear us teach the law. Now they gather around to hear a carpenter's son, and he's healing them? Look at the crowds he's gathering. I don't understand. Nothing is like it's used to be. Nothing is like it's supposed to be. In fact, it feels like I've lost control. Has anyone ever been there? Anyone there now? You ever find yourselves grumbling about these things? We're epic grumblers. In fact, we had to make up a new word for grumbling. Now we call it snarking. It's like next level grumbling. In fact, it's safe to say I think we've outgrumbled the Israelites. And they grumbled in the wilderness for 40 years. At one point, they were even grumbling about losing things they didn't even want to begin with. Right? <laughs> but <laughs> Amen, sister. <laughs> but we've all lost things, right, in our lives that, that we didn't want. We've all lost things that we did want. We've lost wide receivers. We've lost Super Bowls. We've lost jobs. We've lost friends. We've lost family members. We've lost the people that we wanted to keep for as long as forever. We've lost our innocence, our health, control, hope. Maybe even one of us has lost a sheep. We've lost a lot of coins. And our joy, once again, turns to mourning to anxiety, to hurt, to doubt, to anger, to fear, the fear that we might lose something else. And in the grumbling that follows, it's pretty easy to lose sight of the fact that Jesus has been right here in our midst the entire time, like he's at the table whenever we're eating. Every time we break bread he's there if we'd only remember the pharisees were so busy grumbling that they missed out on the fact that jesus the messiah the savior the finder of lost things was right there in their midst how many times have we lost sight that jesus is right here in our midst and then Jesus tells them a story about what? About finding <laughs> the things we've lost. How Jesus the shepherd will search madly, wildly, passionately for the one who is lost, and then Jesus will restore the lost things. And when Jesus restores the lost things, what does he do? He throws a party a dinner party. And at that party, he restores the joy that we thought we'd lost. Rejoice with me. Rejoice. Gather together. Jesus came to restore not just the lost sheep, not just the lost coins, not even just the lost sinners and tax collectors. Jesus came on earth, to earth, to restore 
everything, to heal, to mend, to bring back everything that we lost when we left the garden, when we lost the garden. And in the kingdom to come, we have a promise that there will be no more death, no more suffering, no more war, no more mourning, no more losing things, no more lost things. It will all be restored. We will all be restored. And there will be what? Joy. Joy. And here's the thing, like, as Christians, we've been found. As Christians, we've been told. As Christians, we've sat at the table with Jesus again and again. Every Sunday as Christians, we sit at the table with Jesus. Every time we break bread, there is a chance to be found again, to remember the joy of what he's done, what he's promised, that all that has been lost can be found in him. That's why we gather here every Sunday to remember. That's why we're gathering around tables for alpha groups in this season of church because there's too much grumbling in this season of life and we need to stop trying to understand it all and just get back to the table with Jesus. That's why... We're starting Alpha. Alpha gatherings, Alpha parties. They're really found parties, right? (laughs) Found parties. Because with Alpha, we're having found parties around tables so that we, each of us, might have an opportunity to find some of the things that we've lost. That we might be able to find them in Jesus the finder of things, and that we might invite others to find lost things in him as well. And so that in doing so, we might leave off the grumbling that this story started with and remember the joy that it ends with, a joy in Jesus Christ that can only be found in him. Wakari Maska? That was fun. <laughs> yeah. Amen. Amen. So, amen. So we usually do a, a, a confession and a pardon right now. And the funny thing about confession and pardon is you're saying words that aren't yours but you're saying them in a way that if you're doing it right, they become yours, and you actually believe the things that you say. So today, I'm going to invite you, as you're able, if you're able, to stand in body or in spirit as we confess something we believe in. So would you stand up with me? I'm going to clap. You can clap too, like this. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart to stay. I got the love of Jesus. Got the love of Jesus, love of Jesus down in my heart. Where? 
down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. I've got the love of Jesus, love of Jesus down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. To peace that passes. This is hard. I've got the peace that passes understanding down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. I've got the peace that passes understanding down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. One more. Say, you got to do this one. I've got the wonderful love of my blessed Redeemer way down in the depths of my heart. Where? Down in the depths of my heart. Where? Down in the depths of my heart. I've got the wonderful love of my blessed Redeemer way down in the depths of my heart. Down in the depths of my heart to stay. Amen. <laughs>